Luke chapter 4. We're going to be reading from verses 31 through the end of the chapter this morning. But just as you're turning, I, this wasn't like a major news story, but there was, a re, there was a law recently passed that, I don't know if you saw, that there's a state in Switzerland that just made it illegal. So this is a new law they passed in a state in Switzerland. They made it illegal to flush a toilet from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. So this was well, something they just passed. And the reason, so it's an odd law anyway, right? Like you think that's odd. And the reason, I just figured it was some sort of environmental law like that, that they had going on was actually they... they they banned it because of noise pollution. So the, this was considered noise pollution. So from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., you can't flush a toilet in this certain place in Switzerland. So to me, it's just, a, it's, it's odd, right? And it's, it's an odd law. It's odd reasoning in my mind. But this law joins others that just, to me, that they just, they just strike me as odd that like these laws are on the books, for example. So in Singapore, it's illegal to chew, it's illegal to chew gum. So again, that at all, like it's illegal in Singapore to chew gum. So I don't know if it's, they don't want to step on it or if it's just, rude to chew with your mouth open, but it's illegal to, to, to chew gum in Singapore. In Poland, you cannot wear Winnie the Pooh attire. So it's considered, in Poland, because it's considered too risque. So it's considered, because I don't know if they're, because he only wears a shirt, I don't know if they're worried about this spreading to the youth of Poland, but that's like the, the you can't wear Winnie the Pooh shirt. And in Canada, to our neighbors to the north, who, so they have a law to help promote Canadian artists where radio stations during the day, so there's certain hours of the day, where radio stations have to play at least one-third Canadian artists on the radio all the time. So they, you know, every two, you know, if you have two songs from non-Canadians, you have to have a Canadian song during the day. So there's just like a lot of Justin Bieber, a lot of Brian Adams going on. And they just, so, so anyway, there's just this sort of like, all these laws that are, that are just f sort of feel unusual. You've probably heard of laws, right, that either feel outdated or antiquated or just unusual in different places. But, but all these laws have something in common in these places. Besides that they appear unusual, they have something in common, and that's this, that these laws really don't affect me at all, right? Like, they have no bearing on my life because as an American, Swiss and Canadian and Singaporean laws, they, they don't have an effect on me because their government has no authority over me. And just as our government has no authority on the citizens of these countries, right? So their, their command on no chewing gum really has no jurisdiction here. As we come to the end of chapter 4, Jesus is beginning his formal public ministry. And we're about to read, and even from the very beginning of his ministry, about, we're about to see the jurisdiction of Jesus here. We're about to see how far does his jurisdiction spread. Does his jurisdiction, jurisdiction spread to, to everywhere, or is it to a limited place and a limited time? In our series called The Compassionate Conqueror, as we study the book of Luke and the person of work of Christ through, through the book of Luke. At, at the beginning of the book, we see who he uniquely is, that he is fully God and he is fully man, that he is the long-promised Messiah sent to rescue humanity. And now in the second half of chapter 4, for the first time, he begins his public ministry. And so as he does in, his, in the passage prior to this, he's beginning his public ministry and he preaches his sort of first recorded sermon. And the result of the first recorded sermon that we have is that they, they wanted, the response to him was they wanted to kill him. So now he moves on to a new location and he now teaches and heals and casts out demons and he displays from moment one of his ministry an authority and a command with his teaching and over the natural realm and over the spiritual realm. He commands more. He is unlike anyone who has ever been on earth. He, he has a complete command and a complete authority. And so we see the authority of Jesus right 
and the command of Jesus. He starts off in his public ministry, and we're going to see that his command is expansive. But the question we must ask is not just what does his authority in general look like and what is he generally over, but what's this mean for my life? So the question isn't really, is he in command and in authority over everything, but is he in authority of even me? Is he in authority of every square inch of my life, of every part of my life? And so the passage will show us the authority of Christ as he begins his ministry. And the main idea we're going to be looking at this morning is that everything is under the command of the conqueror. That everything is under the command of the conqueror. So with that, if you're able to stand, I would ask you to stand now, if you're a guest with us this morning, we stand just to show our, as we read God's word, to show our, our reverence to the word of God. So we're going to read verses 31 through 44. And as he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went, into every, went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and, entered, uh, synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any, sick, who, any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was, the day, and when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate, desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Well, you may be seated. Again, the main theme we're going to be looking at this morning is that everything is under the command of the conqueror. And we're going to look at that through four points this morning. Point number one is this, all creation under his command. All creation under his command. So he is, in the last passage, he, he was preaching in his hometown and he was driven from his hometown. He escapes death. So, so mad were they at teaching at his teaching that, 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 that they, they, they tried to kill him, but he was able to escape. And now he comes to Capernaum. And once again, on the Sabbath, he is teaching in the synagogue. Now, it's easy to miss this, right? It's just like, okay, another, Sunday, or, you know, another Sabbath, he's, he's just there preaching. But it's easy to miss. Like, the last time we see him preaching in the synagogue, like, they, they wanted to kill him. But he's just like, right now, just back at it again. It's like, okay, next week, and he's just, he's there preaching again right after they tried to kill him. And so if we just see this pattern, right, from the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry that, like, that, 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 they, they, that people are angry in response to Jesus, that they are angry at the truth of Jesus, and yet he endures for those who are trying to kill him. That though they get angry, he doesn't withdraw, but he keeps pressing forward for the sake of those who are pressing against him. 
So in verse 32, it says that they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. Now, you've got to understand, the people that were there, right, the primary audience in, in the synagogue at this time, these, these were people who, who, went to the synagogue, who went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Like, this was, the, this was the, the, the pattern of their life. These were religious people. These were people who, who, were, who, who heard the law and read the law. These were, these were people who, who, this was sort of their, their weekly rhythm, was that, this, that the worship here was sort of the central to the rhythm of life. And they've, they've heard rabbis before. They've heard... They've heard teachers before. They've, filled, they've heard people who have been filled with wisdom before. They've heard people that, that have knowledge before. Many of the people who they would have heard had, had godliness and humility, and yet Jesus spoke, and it was just different. He spoke with an authority. His words had a, a command. And it wasn't because Jesus had a, sort of a style difference. It wasn't because he sort of had some preaching trick that you learn along the way and sort of he could wow a crowd. But just it's obvious, right, from, from the way they respond. Jesus had an authority. Every word he spoke was the authoritative word of God. And so at the time, they, they, they didn't get it all. They didn't really understand the full implications of this, but they, they, they saw and they heard that that there's an authority, and so you get the sense, right, that they're, that they're leaning in to his teaching, that, that, that his reputation is beginning to spread. So his reputation preceded him, and it's beginning to spread. But he wasn't just the flavor of the month, and he wasn't just a skilled speaker. He was more than just one who could hold a crowd's attention, that because he is God, every word he spoke, he spoke with authority. He spoke with, the, with, with command. That the God, that the same God who created everything by the word of his power, he spoke and all creation came in to be. Every word he speaks now has authoritative power. Right? So you see this in the way he cast out demons. You see this in the, by the way he healed. He, he did it, what? Just by speaking. He would just rebuke them and then they would just come out. So when Christ speaks, the world aligns to his word. So the command of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, is not just that every word he speaks is true. Every word he speaks becomes true, right? So demons come out and sickness is healed. So what he declares simply is. And it's not just sort of in this book, though we certainly learn from him that the law and the prophets are fulfilled in him and by him. So it's not just that, though, but what he declares in anything is he is of total authority. So, when he says that one's sins are forgiven, their sins are forgiven fully. When he says that, that, he, is, that he is the vine, right? And that, that apart from the vine, that he is the vine, and apart from the vine, we can do nothing without him. That all life comes from the vine. Without, without the vine, that without being attached to the vine, you can do nothing in your life. He doesn't mean, well, apart from me, of course you can do some things, but it's just not as right. No, he means, no, you, you can't do anything, but in him, there's power. When he says, I am with you always, he means he is with you always, no matter our perception of his presence at any moment. It simply is reality that he is with his people always. So, there's no question about whether his word is authoritative. There's no question whether his word is true. The, the question I think we, we need to ask ourselves of ourselves is, are we submitted to his word in our life? See, 
It's not a question of, are his word, is his word a total command? Is it authoritative? Is it true? But it's, are we submitted to that word in our life? Or do doubts and circumstances and trials and sins and other voices, do they in some way compete for supremacy? Do they compete with his word to define reality for us? So everything is under the command of the conqueror. The second thing we see here is, so everything is under the command, and we see the, the spiritual realm is under his command. The spiritual realm is under his command. So in verses 31 through 37, right, we, we see this, the, the, this illustration here of how, how Jesus is just clearly here seen as more powerful than the demons, right? It's just demon, the demons know who Jesus is, and they are terrified of who he is. They know that, 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 he, that he's the Holy One, and so Christ commands this demon to come out, and he simply leaves. With authority and with power, he casts out unclean spirits. And they come out. They're just compelled to come out by the word of Christ. There's no ambiguity as to what happens here. But, but here's why it happens, because Jesus is more powerful than the demons. He casts them out by just his voice. They know his authority, and they leave. In verse 41, almost as an afterthought, and when, when, he's, when he's healing others, almost as an afterthought, you know, he's healing many, and oh, yeah, and many demons also came out, right? Just this, you know, they knew he was the Son of God, they knew he was the Christ. So not only do they know that, not only does he cast them out, he then silences their mouths so they can say nothing else. So he rebukes them as he is the one in charge, and they can utter nothing back other than, you are the Son of God. He is of total authority. And it's really illustrative of the fact that he's not just authority over demons, but it's because he is, he is of authority over the entire spiritual realm. That sort of demons are because, okay, they're in this category, they're under the spiritual realm, and like he has total authority over all of it. Demons who serve Satan, demons who torment mankind and who afflict many, and people on their own are powerless against them, but Jesus is just in total control of the demons here, of the evil spirits here. You know, Dre and I, in our day, my son DeAndre and I, we've played a lot of like one-on-one basketball, right? So like we play it pretty regularly. We've played a lot of one-on-one. And it used to be, when I was in my 30s and he was like five, it was, it was really easy to kind of play Dre at basketball. And even when he, like he would beat me sometimes, but in the back of my mind, I kind of knew, like I, I kind of took it a little easy on him, right? Like I, I let him win, right? But now when we play, like sometimes I beat him, usually he beats me, but like, it's, even when I beat him, like, it's never easy for me to beat DeAndre at basketball, right? Like, like when I win, like, it's because I had to use, like, all the old man skill I've got. Like, I had to use, like, some moves that, like, like just this, like, these weird, like, one-legged fadeaways. And, like, I have to use, like, I probably have 20, maybe even 30 pounds on him. And I've got to use, like, yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's, you know, he's growing. Um, so, like, I've got to use, like, every extra bit I've got on him to, like, try to pull, like, something near the rim. Like, I've got to use, like, all this stuff. But he's got, like, more skill than me. And, like, it's, so even when I win, like, it's never simple. And when I win, he, he has this look of surprise on his face. Like, well, I, don't, I don't know how this happened. Like, how did you hit this shot that, like, I didn't think was going to happen. But so now it's been this reversal of, like, when, when, when I win, I do wonder, like part of, in the back of my mind now is like, I wonder if he let me win. Like, I wonder if he's like taking it easy on me, right? Like we, we sort of had this reversal here as we, as we go at each other. But I just want to be clear, here, here's Jesus, right? And it, there, there's no battle. Like, this is simple. There's no competition. Like, 
Jesus not only rules and not only reigns, he's not, over the, not only over the spiritual realm, he just reigns with ease. This isn't like, boy, there's this struggle going on, but Jesus is going to come out at the end. No, it's just like, just get out and they leave. Now, there's a lot we could say about spiritual warfare in our day, and I'll, I'll just say this. I, I don't know all the ways of Satan. I don't know all the ways of what are demonic in our day. I don't know why they are allowed to roam in the ways they do on our earth right now. But here's what I know, that they are just like a dog on a leash and they will go no further than he allows, when he allows, and why he allows. And so I can't answer all the questions of why are they able to bark like they do, but we, we simply know who is in control of the entire spiritual world. That Christ owns the spiritual realm. He owns every square inch of it. So everything is under the command of the conqueror. The third thing we see is this, that the physical realm is under his command. The physical realm is under his command. So Jesus teaches like no other. He has an authority like no other. He speaks the very words of God. He has authority over the spiritual realm. And now he, we see that he also has us over the physical realm. Look, look at his power here, right? And Simon's mother-in-law is sick. Verse 39, he rebukes the fever Right, like I, I feel like I personally have a good doctor. I like my doctor. When I had COVID, like if when we when we talked, like there wasn't this sense of like, hey, hey, do you need med? Like it wasn't like my, my solution wasn't, hey, doc, could you could you just rebuke the fever in your name and we'll see what happens? Like could you rebuke COVID in my name? We'll just see kind of what happens. Like she could have done that all she wanted. Like nothing would have happened, right? Like she like that that's not gonna work, right? Jesus rebukes the fever. And it immediately left her. And she rose immediately. It's not just, okay, we started to see a reversal of the disease at some point. It was sudden and it was dramatic. And then it says, all those who were sick in verse 40 with various diseases, every one of them were healed. This is the power and authority he commands. And I'll just note this, that like, I'm, I'm really glad I have a doctor. I'm really glad that we live in a day where there are good medicines, and I'm grateful. F I'm, I'm grateful. For, there's a lot of people in this room who, who work in the medical field and on the front lines helping the sick and the hurting. And so it's good to have a doctor. It's good to get your physical. But let me just say, I, I think, I, I also want to say, that I think while this is really good, and it's just a work of God's kindness to humanity that we live in an age of good doctors and medicines and hospitals and insurances and so on, I think, I, I think it's his grace that has allowed human wisdom and ingenuity to advance to where it has, that we have the knowledge over the human body that we have. But I, I say that to say, I, I think there's also this danger that I think we face when we live in the place we live, living in the age where we live, where medicine is so advanced and medical care is so far that our instinct oftentimes in our sickness or with the sicknesses of a friend is to first look to the medicine cabinet and not to our maker to not first look to the one who has compassion to heal and compassion to heal and power to heal and not that he will every time in our lives and again not that it's wrong to take medicine again it's it's so often good but that but we want to train our instincts to not go first to the medicine cabinet but the first to go to our maker to first go to the lord we should be quick to though to be those who who go to him first in our time of need in faith recognizing that he has the power and compassion, that, that, he, that the Christ who heals then does still now. So we should look to him in faith when we are in physical need. And, 
And I think we should look to him in faith for, for others that are in physical need. So to do things like, of course, let's continue to bring casseroles and offer support and all the things that it, that it means to walk together. But let's be those who are, are just our first instinct is though to, to hit our knees and to go to offer more than, more than sympathy, but go to the one who can offer healing. So Christ has, this shows us that Christ has compassion to heal and he has power to heal because Jesus has the authority of God. He has authority in the spiritual realm. He has authority in the physical realm. Everything is under his command. So everything is under the command of the conqueror. So the fourth thing we want to look at is simply this, the question, are you under his command? Are you under his command? So, popu- so popular did Jesus become, his authority so obvious that he tries to leave, he tries to get just some isolation for a little while to try to get, you know, get some time in verse 42 and verse 43, but they keep coming and they sort of won't let him leave. But he notes he needs to move on because he has came to preach good news that others need to hear it. That's why he came. The purpose for his coming was so that others could hear the news of Jesus Christ. So, 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 so he, he needs to move on. But can I just say, I think the response to many then, the response of many then is the response of many now. And that we see Jesus' compassion. And man, we, we like that. And we see that he's an amazing teacher and we like that. And we see that he's powerful over the, over the physical and the spiritual. And we like that. We like this Jesus. And that many people, and we, can, we can like Jesus and we can marvel at Jesus, but that's different than submitting to the authority of Jesus. So I just want to make it very clear that it's one thing to note that Jesus Christ has authority and a command of all things, and it's another to submit to the authority of Jesus. So let me just ask, is Jesus the authority in your life? Is He the authority in all of your life, in every area? Have you submitted to Him in every corner of your life? Because the question isn't, do you believe Him to be God? Here, Here the demons believe Him to be God. The question is, have you bent your knee to Jesus Christ? Because this Christ tells us to fear Him who not only controls the body, but controls the body and the soul. And those who do not submit in this life will be deserving of His wrath in the next. And to be under the wrath of God could not be more severe and more, or more real or more eternal. So submit to the rule of Jesus Christ while you still can in this life. And if you never have, or if you aren't sure, like what, what does that really mean in, in my life to submit to Jesus Christ? I'd, I'd love to talk with you. There's, there's many other people in this room that would love to talk with you about what, what does that mean? How, how do I know if I've really done that? But for all of us, submission to Jesus is not, is not a one-time event, but it is a daily reality we are daily called to submit every part of us to the rule and to the reign of jesus christ and so it's a daily reality that submission to the authority of jesus looks like fighting sin i mean like really fighting sin hard and working at it growing more like christ by his spirit so having things like accountability and knowing our weaknesses and not dismissing the little things in our life because all sin is fighting Christ for supremacy, and so it's not wanting to give one inch away or one thought away or one area of my life away, but I want it all submitted to Jesus Christ. And so I want more and more just to fight sin in pursuit of Jesus Christ while at the same time recognizing 
that everything submits to Christ. So Christ is authority over every square inch, including your unrighteousness. So that as we fight sin, we fight sin aware that he's already freed us from the penalty of sin if we're in him, that, we're being, that we are being freed from the power of sin in our lives, and one day we will be freed from the presence of sin. So sin, we also fight with the power knowing that though sin so easily entangles us, and sin has a weak opponent in me, but it has the mightiest opponents in Jesus Christ, and so sin does not define me, and sin is not my identity, because Jesus Christ says our sin is defeated, and his word is final. So we fight, but we fight with complete confidence and submission to him. Submission through him means I think we walk through our trials not with an understanding of, of why or how they will be used in my life, but since Jesus is the authority of the physical and the spiritual realm and has, authority, has the authority of the omnipotent God, and his word says that his trials will be used for good, it just means it governs my hope and perspective that, okay, my trials are submitted to him. His purpose, the purpose of my trials are not random, are not coincidental, they are submitted to him. Spurgeon writes that Christians know that the storm has a bit in its mouth and that God holds it in and nothing can hurt them. Nothing can happen to them but what God permits. Submission to Jesus Christ means it's not, just, it's not just a factor, but it, but it governs my goals in parenting. Submission to Jesus means we not, only, not only do I trust his work more than my efforts in their lives, but my goals, are not defi- and my goals in parenting are not defined by the idea of success that the world throws out. Whether that idea of success for my kids be a happy marriage or a good career or a high education or a good reputation, but my goals as a parent are marked by the singular goal that they would live in happy submission to King Jesus, and that's it. That's the, that's the one goal we've got. And everything else, it may be fine, it, it might be great, but they're secondary to the one overriding goal we have and hope we have. Submission to Jesus means my, my dreams are in submission to him, that I'm not a person who's, who sort of has the liberty to chart my own course or to follow my own heart, but to sit daily seek to bring all these desires under his wisdom and love and mission. Submission to Jesus means it, it, it defines the way we view our spouse, right? The, the submission to Jesus' authority and command means I live in light of a love that is so much stronger and eternal than my love, that, that my aim in our marriage is for for, for Emily, for my spouse someday to, to meet and be with King Jesus and to enjoy him forever and every day in our married lives is to live for that day. That we don't have the, the liberty of defining success in our marriage as sort of by, by goals we create. But no, no, we have one goal in mind and it's that we're both going to stand before King Jesus and we both want to help each other get there happy in him. So my primary goal in our marriage, our primary goal is in our marriage, right? Not that she would make me happy, though, oh, parenthetically, she really does, but that we would walk towards this fixed day together. And that, boy, even my goal of making her happy, that, that, that's a good thing. And I, I, but that can't be the, the overriding sort of governing perspective of my life, but that, that, that I'm helping her to walk more like Jesus, that I'm helping her to be prepared for the day where we will both meet Jesus Christ. And any, any ideas that I have of our temporary happiness and what, what sort of would mark us temporarily happy here just need to be submitted and seen as so small to the earthly reality of eternity with Jesus. Jesus.
And, his, and to live in submission to His authority means it's that we trust that His authority still is in effect in our world, that we, that we believe that and we submit to that, that the message of Jesus Christ is still powerful. It's still the message that saves. That the gospel, the message of Jesus has, has a power and has effect that the Spirit uses the message of Jesus Christ to enliven souls to come to life. That the message of Jesus Christ transforms hearts and minds and wills and affections. So submission to Jesus means we, we do not shrink back in fear of the world, but we, we move ahead fully armed with the transformative message of the gospel in love for the world. Because Jesus Christ reigns supreme and His gospel message wins hearts and minds. And that there is nothing that can stop the advance of his, of his salvation or the message of salvation because He is an authority over all of it. That the message of Jesus Christ is still advancing in the world and the means He most often uses to display His power and to transform, his, to transform hearts are happy and transformed people who are flawed, who are sinful, but have been saved and are being transformed, proclaiming the one message that saves and the Spirit opening eyes by His power because the Gospel has power. And so submission to Jesus means we proclaim Him to the world around us. So the question for us to consider is, is Jesus, is Jesus my authority? And does He have dominion over every square inch of my life is every inch of my life, every corner of my heart, is it, is it in submission to Him and where it isn't to seek to bring His Lordship under it. So every square inch of creation, every square inch of the physical realm, every square inch of, of the spiritual realm is under His command as should every square inch of our hearts be. Let's pray. Father, would you... Help us to be a people who live daily in submission to King Jesus who rules and reigns over all things, who is in complete control of our world, that we don't always see how you're working, but we know that you are the God who is in control over all of it. So Lord, would we live in submission to you would, would every square inch of our lives be increasingly lived under your good rule and under your good, under your good lordship? And Lord, I do pray if there's anybody here that has never submitted their lives for the first time to Jesus Christ, Lord, would you give them grace today? Would you open their eyes? Would you use your word and by your spirit, would you open their eyes to see the glory of Jesus Christ? the authority of Jesus Christ, and the goodness of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that today will be the day that they come to, to know you, not just as the Lord, but their Lord and their Savior. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.